Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. Last week we looked at why storms come. And um, I'm talking about today some different categories of storms. And sometimes storms are quite invisible. You, you seem to be at the mercy of something, but you're not quite sure where it's come from, where its origins are. But there's no doubt about it, it's having an effect on you. And other times the storm is standing right in front of your face. It's a very visible storm. Amen. And so I was thinking on the different types of challenges and trials we face and what they do in us. And so I want to just look at a few sh- uh, and uh, over this short message today and look at the first type of storm is a storm of correction. And these, these storms come to bring us correction, which I need constantly in my life. Amen. You know, the word says that um, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. And I've never had a pleasant chastening experience. Don't know if anyone here has. If you, you may, may be a little bit weird, but I've never had a, an, a chastening experience that's been very pleasant, but it's something that we need to embrace and we need to understand it. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Now, for this is probably the old King James. But for modern times, correct. Chasten. Discipline and correct. But if you're without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, listen to this, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Amen? Amen? You know, and so whenever we resist God's chastening, whenever we try and avoid it or run from it, Actually, we're just running into more difficulty. You know, accept, accept, the, accept the chastening when it comes. Accept the correction. And if you read that story, if you know that story in 1 Chronicles 21, where King David, he instructs Joab to go and take a census of all of the men of Judah or Israel. And it really displeased God that David had done this. And actually, Joab um, was kind of uh, miffed about it as well because he only came back and done, ha- done half the job. He didn't do all the tribes. He eventually got to the place, why, why are we doing this? It's, it, and, and so David, David was wrong in issuing that instruction to take the census. Do you know what? When it comes to 
you know, God is the, he's the God of angel armies. We can take a census and we can be 50 people in this room, but we've got legions of angels. We've got, got countless. We've got the, the whole of heaven behind us. I shouldn't be so concerned about how many we are here, but how many are we in the supernatural? That's really what matters. So David goes and he does this. And so he needs to be chastened. Amen. So then uh, a man has to come, a seer, I think his name was Gad, he has to come and say, I'm bringing you correction on this. You shouldn't have done that. God is displeased with you. Here are your options. Three options for correction. Amen. All of them were going to be costly. All of them were going to be costly to some degree or another. And so David chose one that he thought, okay, I don't want, don't give us over to the sword of our enemies, but we'll take, we'll accept a plague. And the Bible says 70,000 men died before David and the elders of Israel repented got down on their face and asked for forgiveness and God relented at that moment in time. That is, what kind of correction is that? That is a harsh correction. Amen. You know, sometimes I read God's word and I think, oh, but it, it's God's word. And that's what it says. And sometimes it'll say things that'll, that, that seem harsh. But isn't it great we can learn from it? Amen. So, but there's one thing about this situation. It revealed David's heart. His people were being struck down because of his sin and his disobedience. But we know where David came from. He was a shepherd. And he never lost, I don't believe he ever lost that shepherding instinct. And when his people were being affected by this. Amen. It was a great tragedy to him. He suffered because of it. And so he also understood as a person that he had to take full and personal responsibility for what happened. Amen. And he had to make right with God. And this is the thing that I love that we can take from David's life when he made right with God, he didn't do it in a cheap fashion. He never done it. It was, it was never cheap in his eyes. It was never cheap. And we've got to remember that sometimes we think we're going to, you know, the chastening will be light and, the sac and, and the, what's required of us will be little. But other times, it won't be like that. Sometimes, because of our ignorance, I think sometimes God says, well, you didn't have full knowledge of what you were doing. Amen. But there are times we act in full knowledge of what we're doing. And it's, it, it goes in the face of God's word and God chastens. Amen. So it was deeply personal to David. Hallelujah. So he goes to a man called Aruna, 
where the, the Bible says he goes to the threshing floor and the command was build an altar for me there. This is David making right now, making recompense for what happened. And he goes there and this man is just probably delighted to see King David there. And you're going to build an altar here in my threshing floor. Well, that's just wonderful. What can I give you? Can I give you the stuff to make the altar? What can I give you to make this um, altar? And David says, don't give me anything. I don't want anything that you have to give me. I must pay the full price. And even if I do take anything from you, Aruna, I'm going to pay the full price for it. Amen. He said to Aruna, I will not take for the Lord that which has cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice something that is cheap. I will not sacrifice something that is cheap. Now we know that all the, this is, this was before our Savior was born and died for us. And, and, and we, 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 he was our, 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 our offering. So we don't, you won't find a, a, a fire pit here at the front of the church where we're sacrificing animals nowadays. <laughs> Aren't you glad about that? We'd all be walking out here with smoky, charcoaly faces, you know. And so none of that, you know. But so we, but we know that um, all the the Lord requires is a sincere and a repentant heart. Amen. But you can understand. It's good to look at the life of King David because you can understand his attitude, his at his heart attitude was so important. You know. He understood the weight of his disobedience. And he was like, do you know what? There'll be no cheapness in resolving this situation with God. So God brought correction. Amen? He brought correction. So my encouragement to us all today is to embrace the chastening and embrace the correction. And uh, you know what? I think, I think it's like, it stings for a while. I remember on the days when I went to high school, um, normally there were some classes where you knew you were going to get a hiding, all right, or a, 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 a caning. Our PT teacher was particularly fond of it. And on certain days, I'd wear two pairs of school trousers and two pairs of underpants to school because I knew that uh, on that day, I'd probably end up getting... Those days are gone. But that was life for us. And... Uh, do you know what? The correction hurts, but then it fades and you move on and hopefully you've gained greater respect for those that are over you. Amen? Amen. The other kind of storm that comes is a storm that comes to perfect us or, or, or a perfecting storm. Don't think I'll ever be perfect, only in Christ, but they're perfecting storms, and they're not pleasant either. But we always know that we'll triumph in the end. Amen? We'll, the victory, he won the victor's crown. We'll triumph in the end. Amen? And I want to read in Job, 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 chapter 23, verse 10. It says, it says there, but he knows the way that I take. Who's he referring to? God. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. When he has tested me, when he has proven 
when he's tried me, when he's examined me, I will come forth as gold. In fact, I believe God scrutinizes our life. He looks intently at our life through the proving and the testing and everything else. But Job says, my foot has held fast to his steps and I've kept his ways. Hallelujah. This year there's been an emphasis on keeping his ways, walking in his ways. And I've not turned aside. I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. And I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Amen. So God's word talks about different kinds of vessels, vessels of wood, vessels, vessels of silver and bronze and gold, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Amen. And, but to become a vessel of value, of worth, you have to go through perfecting. You have to undergo perfecting. And I don't think it's so much that, you know, I was thinking about it for myself. I don't think it's so much that I become perfect per se, but it's more that God perfects that which concerns me. God is perfecting that which concerns me. Amen. And so I'm thankful that nothing's going to stop God from, from, from fulfilling his will and purpose for my life. Nothing's going to stop him from doing that, I hasten to add. I can stop it, but nothing, God, there's nothing, God doesn't want anything to get in the way of him um, fulfilling his will, plan, and purpose for your life. Amen? And so in Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy endures forever. Don't forsake the work of your hands. And he, we are the work of his hands. We are the work of his hands. And he has a vested interest in every single one of us. Amen? And I want to uh, uh, relate a wee story. I'm sure it's, it's a popular one, and I'm sure you've maybe most of you heard it before, concerning the refining, the refiner's fire. And uh, this story uh, talks about a woman who's watching a silver, silversmith hold a piece of silver over the fire and he's letting it heat up. And the silversmith explains that when you're refining silver, you need to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flame is the hottest to burn away all of the impurities in the material. So the woman was thinking about God holding us in a hot spot right in the middle. And she thought about the verse that said, he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. You'll find that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. So she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time that the silver was being refined. And so he answered, yes. He not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. Isn't that good news? If, he, if it's held for too long in the flame, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? And he smiled and said to her, that's easy when I see my image in it. Amen. 
And that's the essence of David's thinking, I believe, in, that, in Psalm 138. Nothing can get in the way of what God has in mind for you, for us. And that is God's perfect will. And not even David's own fleshly desires, and we know all of his downfalls and everything, don't we? Not even that prevented God from seeing David walk out the will, plan, and purpose. Why? I always know it's because his heart. His heart, he had a heart after God, amen? And so um, that's an important principle. Never forget that. There's one caveat to this truth, amen? The perfecting is of that which is according to God's will. The perfecting is of that which is according to God's will. I don't, I could say God make me perfectly rich, but I want to be in God's will. And so wherever God's will is, you know, God, I want to be perfectly comfortable, you know, and this is what I want to surround me. These are the things I want. That's not what we're talking about. Amen. It's the perfecting of that which is according to his will. And that's what ought to concern us more than anything else in this life. Amen. So, in Jude chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Faultless free from flaws and impurities. And so where does, where, does this, where does this say that that happens? It happens in the heat, in the intensity, in the middle of the fire. Amen? And so we can, we can be thankful for that, that we, he will not, I think, I don't know what the verse it is, but he says he will not tempt us with things beyond which we can endure. So many times I think God knows what we, where we can, what we can endure to. And he will, not let us, he will not let us go beyond that. It was the same with when, when Satan asked God to, I want to um, try Job. God didn't just say, well, there you go, free for all. God said, this is where it stops. This is where it stops. This is where it stops. Amen? Hallelujah. And so in Philippians, Paul said, and if there's anyone who, went, who went, went through, actually, he probably went through the perfect storm. You know, what do you, when you, the perfect storm is that one that's going to get you every time, it seems, you know. All, everything conspires to bring you down. And Paul was in situations like that all the time. But he said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So there's never, there's never no hope. There's never no hope. Amen. And so how empowering is that for us to know that as long as we are pursuing that which God wants to perfect in us according to his will, and he is passionate about staying committed to that. He's a covenant God and he doesn't go back on his promises. Amen. No matter what happens, he is going to finish it. He will, he will be, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. 
And no matter what things may look like, whether there's horrible circumstances or horrible people in your life, okay, horrible people, horrible things, horrible circumstances, it doesn't matter. In Psalm 138, verse 7, it says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, and then I put in brackets there, horrible circumstances, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and then I put in brackets, horrible people. (laughs) And your right hand will save me. (laughs) Amen. God will never abandon the work that he has invested into you. He's begun something in every one of us, and he will not abandon it. Amen. And so if we allow him to refine us, amen, he'll bring us to the perfection in him. Okay? Amen. But there's, a, there's another scripture that tells us something here that I think is one of those, it's in the word, so we have to preach it. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 6. It tells us that not all silver will be refined. Some silver contains metals that cannot be removed in the heat of the fire. The silver refuses to let go of the impurities. And when that happens, the silversmith rejects the silver because it's unable to be purified. I want you to go in your word to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 29 to give this a scriptural backing. It says there, the bellows blow fiercely to burn away the lead with fire, but the refining goes on in vain. The wicked are not purged out. And this is at a time when Jeremiah was speaking to the nation of Israel when they were in complete disobedience to God again. You know those seasons they went through. They're worshiping other gods, seeking help from ungodly nations, living life in an unholy way. They were refusing to be refined. They chose the dross that was out there around them instead of choosing to be refined and made into the image and likeness of the God that they should have been serving. Amen. And in Jeremiah 6, 27 This is awesome. It says there, Jeremiah, I have made you a tester of metal that you may determine the quality of my people. They are the worst kind of rebel. They're full of slander. They are as hard as bronze and iron and they lead others into corruption. The bellows fiercely fan the flames. Can you get a picture of that in your mind? It's the bellows fan the flames to burn out the corruption, but it does not purify them for the wickedness still remains. I will label them rejected silver for I, the Lord, am discarding them. So there is definitely a choice to be made in terms of choosing to be corrected, choosing refinement, choosing chastening or rejecting it. Amen? Hallelujah. And if only we would decide to keep our eyes on the Lord. Because in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, 
that God's eyes go all over the earth looking for those people to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Amen. The next, we sometimes don't read the, the rest of that. It says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And this little scripture was referring to King Asa of Judah. And he, instead, he was having trouble with a, with a king called Basha, king of Israel. But instead of going to the Lord to, I need a solution, and we need to sort this out, he went to the king of Syria instead and said, won't you get involved and get rid of these guys for me? Amen? Now, in the past, when Asa had been faithful to God, he'd overcome armies that came and invaded his nation almost two to one. I don't know if the numbers are, I'm not a, I'm not a Bible scholar to that degree. In this sense, I haven't gone. But when your army is half a million and another army comes with a million plus 300 chariots and you defeat them, I'm like, thank you, Lord. You, you, you have overcome. And this is what this king had. But because he chose to sideline God, he paid a heavy price by, according to that verse, now from now on you're going to have war after war after storm after storm after trial after tribulation. Your life is going to be full of trouble and war. Amen. Eventually this king became heavily diseased in his feet and he didn't survive much longer. You see, just like King Asa, we, so we, we, do, we don't want to be clutching onto things and working out a way to deal with them ourselves. Amen? We don't, we don't want to be fixing things on our own. We want to turn and release them to God. Amen? And, 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 and the Apostle Peter says in, in God's word, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and cast all of your cares and all of your anxieties and all of your worries upon him because he cares about you. And the Amplified, it says, with deep affection. And he watches over you very carefully. Can you imagine God sitting there and he's, I'm, I can see myself on the end of a, skew, of a stick and, but he's not taking his eyes off me one moment. I'm in a, I'm in a storm. I'm in a, I'm in a difficult place, a hard place. But his, uh, his gaze is on me. He's not taking his eyes off me as he, I can imagine him turning the stick. <laughs> you, do you understand what I'm saying? His, his, you know, his eyes are on us through that, through that time. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to close there today. There's another couple of different types of storm that will come against you. And, and one, one, one will be in terms that will test your faith, but the other one is, is a storm that is a satanically orchestrated storm, okay? The, those, those storms are like the perfect storm designed to completely destroy you, mess you up, shipwreck your faith, put you into the depths of a fearful heart so that you doubt God to the degree that eventually you say, what's the use and you give up and you're a goner, amen? But I just wanna repeat what I said in previous weeks. We, uh, God is ever present in the, 
in the midst of trouble. He's ever-present. Amen. So no matter what type of storm comes along, God is there. He's watching and he's close. Amen. Praise God. We, we, we would normally, at this time of the year, in the run-up to Christmas, we would be talking about the character of Jesus. And we're still going to do some stuff online, I think, on the run-up to Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. But I, I felt to stay on this because in 2021, I think we need to understand how to react to what comes our way. And I, my example, how did Jesus react when he was faced with difficulty, trouble, despair, death? I want to emulate the way he reacted. So I want to do a little teaching on how we react to the storm. I think that would be useful for us because there's all sorts of reactions Bitterness, anger, disillusionment, blaming God, blaming other people, blaming the church. I blame you, Pastor David. Blame everyone. Just, you know, there's all sorts. How do we react in the storm? And so I want to do a, a little um, message on that. Amen. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.